This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. It's Friday night. It's after eight o'clock. You're settled in for the evening. You're comfy. You're reading. You're in front of the TV. You're relaxed. Whatever you're doing. You get a message on your phone from a number you don't recognise and they say it's your eldest kid. They explain they've left their phone and wallet at home. They've had to borrow a phone off a friend to text. It's an emergency. They're at the petrol station. They're at the supermarket. They've been pickpocketed. Their purse has been snatched. Whatever it is, they need money and they need it urgently. Could you transfer some cash to this account? That's just one variation of what's called the high mum scam. If you're wondering how effective something like that could be, well, at the end of last year, Aussies had lost over $7.2 million to just that particular digital grift. That's over 11,000 people getting stung. My name's Nick Healy and I have been on the receiving end of that tech scam despite not having kids and immediately being able to see it for what it was. And across my inboxes and direct messages and what have you, I've seen many, many more like it. I know you have as well. Scam texts and emails have become a ubiquitous shared experience. These days, they are a very big business. They can bring a massive income to the criminal minds behind them. People can lose anything from a few hundred dollars to tens of thousands of dollars and for some truly sophisticated scams, much, much more as well. Just this morning, there is a damning report out from ASIC, the banking regulator. Their research found that banking customers lost more than $550 million in the last financial year alone. That's over 31,000 customers affected. And ASIC is calling on banks to step up their game when it comes to how they handle scam prevention and how they help people who've had money stolen. So if you found yourself caught up by a scam, what can you do? Where do you turn for help? What can or should your bank, your financial institution, be doing to help you? Is all lost? This morning I want to try and answer a few of those questions around scams, but I also really want to hammer home how sophisticated this industry is, and it is basically a whole industry. If you are being caught by a scam, it is not something to be ashamed of. You've not been caught out by an adolescent in mum's basement. You've been targeted by an enterprise designed from the ground up to trick you and take your money. So have you been scammed or have you had a near miss? Have you caught on just at the last minute? If you have lost money, what were you able to do? Did you get help from your bank? And even if you've never been scammed, How responsible should banks be to return that lost money? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. If you've not been caught up by a scam artist, you might wonder how you can go from getting a text message to being thousands of dollars out of pocket. Nina Merrilies is one of the many, many Aussies who's been hit by high mum. And Nina, thank you for being being willing to talk about this this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Nick. Thank you very much for the opportunity again to speak about what happened to me. I think it's so important to to make people aware of, I mean, this high mum scam's probably a, um, an older one now. They're far more sophisticated um, every week. But it's just so easy to to fall into that. And, and just, I, I lost 11,600 um, through several... Um, texts, several transfers that I sent through. Um, I'll explain a little bit how it happened. My daughter mm. has, has lived overseas for nearly seven years, so we're used to getting um, di- different uh, messages saying in a different country you got a new number or I've lost my phone, my phone got stolen. 
So it, it wasn't unusual when I got this text back in um, end of July last year saying, hi mum, I've dropped my phone, the screen shattered, uh, this is my new number, I'm just setting it up now. And I went, yep, okay, no worries. Uh, nothing out of the normal. I did try to ring the number, but um, the the person answered, but then hang, hung up straight away and text came back saying, uh, still at trying to set it up, I'm, I'm busy, I'll call you tonight. So that was fairly standard conversation we would have had anyway. Uh, then a few minutes later, we got the first, or I got the first text saying that um, she had to make a payment she didn't have the banking app set up on the new number, so she couldn't get the verification that you need when you're doing payments. Could I make this payment for her? And uh, as you do with your kids, we've we've done this before, make payments on their behalf. So I transferred one of three payments in the end, all totaling eleven thousand six hundred. Mm. Um, they. I knew that her and her husband were purchasing a dog at that stage and thought, oh, maybe they have to make these final payments. But by her, the third text, I, I just had that little nagging doubt that something wasn't quite right, um, thinking it was a very expensive dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did email her and, and just say, is this correct? But she didn't respond and I thought if she's at work, she won't see her personal email. And then I, I made two transfers on... Uh, the one, the first day, and then a third on the second day, and then I emailed her again, and I said, "You know, what's going on? Is this for real, or am I being scammed?" And she obviously saw that email, and then her old phone number rang me back straight away, and I just felt sick when I saw her correct number come up, and I realised that I'd been scammed, and I, I just felt physically ill. Um, I just said, look, I, I've got to hang up. I've got to contact the bank to see if we can stop it. And yeah, then the roller coaster of emotions and and trying to report it and pretty much getting nowhere started. So I'm still fighting. This that happened in July last year, and I'm here. I am in April, and yeah, still fighting for some change to legislation. Well, so Nina, that, when you uh, contacted your bank and said, look, I'm pretty sure I've been scammed, what was their response? I, my bank here, a regional um, bank in this area, they were terrific. They said, yep, well, took all the details. I sent them screenshots of the accounts I'd sent them to. At that stage, I didn't know where they'd gone to. They took all my details and they obviously can um, see which bank the funds go to. And they said, leave it with us. We'll, we'll contact the bank where the funds have gone, but there's no guarantee you'll get your money back. They, I will point mm. out that they were OSCO transactions, which I'd done myself. So uh, it's not like somebody you know, broke into my phone or whatever. I had done them, so I acknowledge that. Um, but... I found out the next day that they'd been transferred to uh, Bendigo Bank and um, I did try to, I, I, uh, I reported the scam to Scamwatch, to CyberGov, to the police uh, and they were all great, you know, they went through all the information. It's basically um, saying you report the information, they collect it, it's mainly just to see how many scams are out there. It, they all say we can't assist in getting the funds back. 
in, in part of that process, they did advise to contact the bank where the funds went to, to um, alert them. So I tried to uh, contact Bendigo Bank. I emailed them with the details. I sent them all the accounts that where I sent the money and I had no response. So I followed up with a second email two days later. Still had no response. I tried to ring uh, just their general number. I got through to um, the customer call centre. Uh, she was very sympathetic, transferred me through to, I think, their complaints and resolutions or, or one of those other departments that you get. And that's as far as I got. I couldn't speak to anyone about it. She um, basically said because I was not their bank's customer, it had nothing to do with me. They couldn't disclose any information. They couldn't deal with me. They kept referring me back to my bank. And I said, well, my bank is dealing with you and they're not getting information from you either. Um, and, you know, you have my funds. So in effect, you are, I am your customer because my money's gone into your bank. Can I speak to your supervisor? No, you can't. Can I speak to your manager? No, you can't. And <sighs> that was the end of it. And yeah. So and you've received no money back from Bendigo at all? No money back from Benigo, no. Oh, sorry, uh, there was a balance of 350 left in the account. Um, my my local bank here told me that that's what Bendigo had advised them and after about five months that amount was eventually sent back to my bank um, as a, yeah. Out, out of the 11,600? Out of 11,600, yeah. But Benigo, yeah, I, I can't even get to speak to them because I'm not their customer. You've been stonewalled by that bank. And, and it's interesting that, you know, obviously your bank doing what they can for you, but at some point saying, we can't move this any forward. The money is with somebody else. And the money's long gone. The police did come back to me and say that an account had been opened fraudulently. Somebody's ID had been stolen. The accounts were opened online. One account was opened in South Australia, one in Queensland. So because the police all have their state jurisdictions, you know, once it goes to another state, they have to hand it on and then they can follow up so much and then they have to hand it on again. So, you know, it's it's quite clever the way the scammers do it. But, you know, in saying that, why aren't banks, when they're opening these online accounts, checking the actual identity of the account holder? Because you would assume that the bank would immediately know who that money has gone to. And if even if the police are agreeing with you that it was fraudulent under how they got that money from you, it should be easy to get that person, shouldn't it? I mean, I'm not sure if I'm... Maybe I'm not making sense. Well, apparently it gets transferred from account to account and then eventually ends up in Bitcoin or it gets transferred overseas and, um, yeah... So, and it, it, the money virtually went straight in and straight out again, as I understand it. And I would think that's another red flag for a bank. If you if you can see funds coming straight in, going out, and we're talking three and a half thousand, four thousand per transaction, straight in, straight out. And I don't know if I was the only person that was contributing to that um, fraudulent account, but surely that's got to be a red flag somewhere. If, if you have a transaction that's a bit um, out of the ordinary on your credit card, you get a, a text message straight away saying, is this you? So why why aren't banks accountable and, and why is there not legislation that supports the banks 
to make them accountable for checking the online or any account identity. When you walk into a branch, you have to provide 100-point ID check. But online, I don't know what the process is. Yeah, it's been a frustrating situation for you. Nina, I really appreciate you being able to talk about that. I think the more people come forward and talk about how complex these scams can be, how how easy it was in many ways to, to feel like it was legitimate, the more we can get a sense of the depth of it. Nina Merrilee's $11,600 out of pocket after what's known as the high mum scan. On the line, we've got Frank from Warrigal. Good morning, Frank. Well, good morning. Um, I haven't been scammed, but I'm quite concerned that ATSIC... Um, when you renew business names, so this is the same organization, sends you emails that have hyperlinks in the email and it says, click here. And I was told by my bank and others, do not click on hyperlinks. So, yeah, look, you're being told one thing, do this for your safety, make sure you're not clicking on random links. And here's ASIC saying you have to go through to make this work. It says, so click here to see a record of your registration. Click, and then you're thinking, oh, my God, where am I going? And then they did the same thing with the receipt. And when I tried to complain online, um, they said that it's perfectly okay because it's, 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 our, um, it's, it's our website. And I'm thinking, and it was from a customer service officer, so then I tried to phone them, and then they said it would take you hours to get through. But I'm thinking, this is the organization that's protecting Australians. <laughs> Frank, I understand your frustration on that. Uh, also on the line, Peter. Peter, good morning. You have been scammed. Uh, yes, I have. Um, similar to the to the previous caller, um, they kept me online and told me that they were sending money through um, to Bitcoin and all that sort of stuff. And they even showed me, um, uh, they bought up a, a website that they'd um, made up, which showed me where I'd been scammed, and they claimed to be the, the um, Commonwealth Bank. Um, but what they actually were doing were trying to launder money through my account somehow. Um, and my 12-year-old boy said to me, Dad, I think you're being scammed. And um, I immediately began to panic and uh thought um, I should just hang up, which I did, um, and they kept trying to call, um, and I uh, basically refused to answer, um, and I left it with the bank, um, and in the end, there was uh, $3,000 in the in my account that wasn't mine, and the bank said that I could just keep it once they'd gone through the process. And um, I ended up with $3,000. Peter, you've managed to catch a scam at the right moment and actually make money off it. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) I I turned out to be quite lucky. Peter, I've never heard a story like that before. That's quite amazing. So like so many people were hearing from this morning, maybe you've been scammed. You're in the same boat as Nina. You're not finding the banks to be very helpful. Where do you turn? What are your genuine legal options? Stephanie Tompkin is the CEO of the Consumer Action Law Centre. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I can only imagine these are just very, very familiar tales you're hearing. I can't imagine anything in, in uh, Nina's story was a shock to you, although maybe not too many stories of people actually making money out of a scam. But um, I know you've probably had time to look over this ASIC report. What stood out yeah. to you? Well, the ASIC report 
showed that, as you said, only 2 to 5% of scams losses are being reimbursed by the major banks. And that is incredibly low and quite shocking. Um, it demonstrates that the, the banks aren't taking this seriously and we need the federal government to step in and mandate reimbursement of scams losses. That's going to drive the banks to step in and protect their customers and use the data that they have access to, you you know, be able to detect unusual transactions like some of those that have been described already this morning um, and prevent scammers from reaching customers. So what's getting me, I think, a bit at the moment is how dependent on which bank you're with, what your response will be like. Sue from Northcote's texted mm-hmm. in saying, look, I had the exact same hi mum experience as Nina. ANZ stopped the transfer to Bank because they said it's known for scams. And then saying I also lost 2K transfer from a different bank. So it, it sounds like there's not a lot of consistency in what the differing financial yes. institutions will do. Yes, so it's a complete patchwork, um, but this is an international crisis and we really need coordination uh, and collaboration between the banks and sharing of technology and intelligence. Um, It's a patchwork across the sector, but it's also a patchwork within different banks. So we have um, clients calling us who have uh, tried to raise an issue with a, a representative of a bank and being told to go away and then they'll call up another time or we'll support them to call the complaints department and they might get some form of small compensation for their loss. So even within the banks, and I think the ASIC report also says you know, one in four of the major banks has an organisation-wide scam strategy. Um, so, you know, we're seeing the inconsistency even within the individual banks because, you know, we really need to put the foot on the accelerator and start dealing with this as an urgent crisis that it is. So why aren't we, Stephanie? Like, what am I missing here? Obviously, you know, I would say that this is costing banks, if not money, reputation mm. alone. Why, why aren't they coming together and coordinating? I agree on the reputation point. I think customers will be shocked to know that they have to bear 96% of scams losses. It's wild. Um, it's Yes, it's wild. And uh, look, I think, you know, against a backdrop of windfall profits that the banks are reporting billions and billions of dollars of profits and we've got a cost of living crisis, I think customers would expect the banks to put their resourcing into stopping scams from taking place. Uh, and that's certainly what this ASIC report um, is is showing. And and I think, again, the point is the banks need to be mandated to take stronger action. Uh, and we say that forcing banks to reimburse, like the credit card example we heard before, forcing banks to reimburse scams victims will drive that innovation, will incentivise that innovation and technology development and cooperation and collaboration across the banking industry. Stephanie, I'll get back to you in one second. On the line, we've got Kelly from Bendigo. Kelly, good morning to you. Good morning. Um, Yeah. Yeah, tell me what happened. Yeah, okay. A couple of weeks ago, um, I buy and sell stuff on Facebook. A middle-aged woman saw a profile, uh, wanted to buy a purse from me, said, give me your banking details. So I've done it many, many times. So I gave her my banking details. And then she said, look, there's a... Facebook has got a secure pay. They don't hold the money. Um, I prefer to do that, but it takes about 20 to 12 to 24 hours. So we'll get back to you. That was at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, so the timing was perfect. Then at 6.30 in the morning, I got a message saying, um, uh, it's gone through on my end. 
uh, you'll just have to sort of do it, uh, you know, when you get the notification from Facebook. Okay. So is it HTTP, Facebook, Marketplace, SecurePay? And I then I Googled it and there was all this stuff on it, but I didn't have time to read it because they called me as I was getting ready for work. Um, then um, anyway, long and short of it is I did that. I put in, uh, so it came up, had the padlock, had everything on it. I clicked on something and it said uh, it looked legitimate. Um, I then um, got the Bendigo Bank, put in my ID and password, and then it was thinking about it, and then it went back to that. I'm like, oh, I've got the wrong password. Meanwhile, the person's chatting to me at the same time, and they're saying, they don't hold it, you've got to do it now. Oh, maybe Bendigo Bank's a problem, so maybe you should go to another bank. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And I'm thinking, oh, I've got to go to work. So I end up doing it. But mm. what happens is I then couldn't find the page while they're talking, going, oh, have you got another bank? I then went to my bank just to see if I could find out where I was. I was getting all confused. And I saw that my son's money and my business money had all disappeared and there was like nine cents. And then I realised my personal account was had all the money in it. I then uh, realised what was happening. I called on the, got to the fraud line and I was on hold. And uh, meanwhile, chatting to the person while they're going, have you got another bank? Have you got another bank? And I'm going, oh, it's really tricky. But they already knew what they were doing. And I'm seeing all my money sitting there. And I put in a message. I, could f I found it on the page. And the message was, I'm being scammed. Freeze all my accounts. Um, bottom line is, 13 hours of going through all the different organisations, trying to work out how to close things, whatever. All the money left. I watched it leave. I waited another 10 minutes. So that was 20 minutes on hold. The bank uh, was concerned. But the minute they said, did you click something? And I said, yes. Uh, they were not helpful. Um, and uh, it really, even what to do at that point or what organisations to call, where to report it, all that sort of it's stuff. It's all very That's confusing. Kelly, did, did you get any money back? Have you, has no, your bank actually... Right. Not at no, all. No, they said it's not, it's not our problem. But on my account, you know how it says transactions, it says, the, it says the transactions. And before the transaction, before the money left my account... Um, it says, freeze my account. They contacted me on, that was on the Friday, on the Monday afternoon sent me an email saying, oh, I see you've, ha you've had some problems. You can call this number. Kelly, that's just wild. And Stephanie, I think, you know, what Kelly's highlighting it, two things to me mm. is one, the sophistication of the scams, you know, part of what they do so effectively is keep people on the back foot. This is urgent. You need to do this right now. There's no time to maybe take five minutes where you might sort of realise that things are a bit awry. But two, knowing where to go in the first place and get a quick response from a financial institution seems to be impossible. Yeah, the sophistication point is really important. Um, uh, that story just then is terrible um, and also points out, you know, by all, you know, looking at that case, everything seemed quite normal. That That's how a normal transaction takes place to begin with on Facebook Marketplace or um, other online platforms. So, you know, it, it's hard to pick out the red flags in, in a lot of these scams and that's the point of sophistication 
it, it can't be on the individual consumer to be able to detect when detect a scam um, from far away when you know we're hearing that these are multinational corporations with HR departments that are committing these scams it's no longer someone in the basement of, of bum's house <laughs> So, Very much yeah. not. I mean, this is what I keep trying to want to make people understand is yeah. there is no shame and stigma. You are being caught up by an industry that has been working and honing their skill yeah. to be as effective as possible. Just really quickly, Stephanie, something Nina brought up and it's something that's interesting to me, you go into a bank to start up an account, you know, you do have to bring those 100 points of ID. Like it's absolutely clear who owns that account. How are scammers setting up accounts with banks and not facing repercussions when they're used illegally? Yeah, good question. And there are so many different permutations of scams as well that there are a few different ways. But one example is through a data leak. So we've had the Optus, the Latitude data leak. Uh, people's uh, identification has been leaked. We've heard of licenses, passports, etc., being leaked. So those can be used to set up uh, accounts that look legitimate. Um, and even in some um, confirmation of payee or pay ID um, transactions, it may be difficult to work out that you're not tra- uh, transferring money to a legitimate account in those circumstances. Um, so that's one example. And then we also you know, hear examples of uh, people having their accounts taken over um, and therefore data can be stolen to set up these accounts. But yes, again, you know, it, it shouldn't be on the individual to have to protect themselves and educate themselves to identify these really complicated, sophisticated scams. The banks have the data, the resources, um, they have the AI to be able to pick up on, um, you know, on accounts being set up in the wrong mm. way or, you know, or um, unusual transactions which should introduce some friction in, into the system to slow things down to be able to, you know, hold on to the money before it's transferred across um, because we have lightning fast transfers at the moment, which means, like Nina described, it's it's out of your account and then it's whisked off overseas and laundered through cryptocurrency. So, you know, having that friction will allow everyone to take a breath and actually work out what's going on. Stephanie, thanks so much for that. Stephanie Tompkins is the CEO of the Consumer Action Law Centre. A text that's come in from Matt saying, I actually got scanned $302 on that Link T text message. Uh, Bank of Melbourne led me a merry dance and then informed me there was nothing they could do. This is the Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. As we're hearing on the text line, Hi Mum is just one of the many different ploys that scammers have to try and separate you from your money. It's genuinely not even one of the most sophisticated. Uh, Sharon Watkins actually found herself on the wrong end of an incredibly complex scam that faked up almost an entire Amazon customer service team. Sharon, good morning. Good morning. What happened? Oh, well, um, I received a call um, uh, about two months ago. Uh, It was a mobile number, so I answered it. I don't normally answer it, but I was expecting some um, other calls to come through. And it was an automated uh, message saying that my Amazon Prime 330-day trial was about to expire. So um, if I didn't want to incur a $99 debit from my account to uh, contact them and basically cancel the subscription... And I was asked to press one, put through to a woman who I told I wanted to cancel the subscription and she asked why. I said, because I didn't use it that much. And she said, fine. And she proceeded to ask me to download an app to fill in a form and 
cancel the subscription. So I did this, but the form wasn't filled out correctly, as she said to me, and she actually passed me over to her supervisor um, named David. And he then proceeded to um, get me to go into my Amazon account and check my uh, cards that were attached and my bank account to make sure that everything was, you know, um, what they had on their, their end. And, yeah, little did I know he was, you know, fiddling around in my bank and um, basically transferring money out as I was on the phone to him. How much so, did yeah. you lose, Sharon? Uh, 30000 That's 30, a huge amount of money. I'm so sorry. And look, yeah, just to be really clear, I mean, that's what you spoke to three different people. There's nothing there yeah. that would have made it sound like it was just, you know, not no. an actual call centre. No, I could actually hear people in the background <sighs> um, saying Amazon. Um, and I thought, okay, well, this sounds pretty legitimate, but... It just seemed to be taking so long. I know my internet where I live is quite slow, so they were blaming it on that, why the whole thing was taking longer than it should have. But um, I just, I had enough by this stage. It was about an hour or so into the, the call and it was, you know, it was just something wasn't right. So I just said, look, that's enough. I've, I've had enough. Can we call you back tomorrow to finish the cancellation? And I said, uh, well, you can. But um, before I hung up, he said, don't, don't go on your internet tonight because that's what's slowing it down. And immediately I thought, oh, my God, something's not right here. So I did go on the internet after I hung up and checked my account. And sure enough, there was two large amounts of money being transferred out. What's and, been uh, the response yeah. from your bank, Sharon? What's happened when you've gone to them? Oh, look, I, I rang up straight away and they blocked my accounts. Um, pretty much they just put in a report and um, had to try and find out where the money was being transferred to and couldn't do that straight away. It had to be a full investigation and all the rest of it. And I just said to them, well, what's the likelihood of me getting my money back? And they said, well, if we can't retrieve it, um, we can't find it, well, you won't. And I thought, no, I don't accept that. I don't accept that at all. So that's why I got onto the media and... Yeah, put in my story, and all of a sudden the bank sort of did a complete one hundred and eighty, and yeah. So, I got so my you money have back. got your money back, but it just took I you. Have now it took you to basically yeah. find a platform to yell your story to make it happen. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I don't believe it's the money that I lost. I believe they just you know reimbursed me out of their own pocket, just to you know save face maybe. But you know, it's um, I don't know what's happened to the money. I don't know if they retrieved it. Um, I just don't know. No, Sharon, it's an incredible thing. And again, thank you so much for talking about this. The more we hear these real stories, the more we get a sense of how sophisticated this is, I think the better people have an understanding and an empathy for what people are going through. On the line, we have Trisha. Trisha, you've actually had a really positive experience with banks and scams. have, and I'd I'd like to pass it on. Um, My husband has always banked with one bank. We got a phone call early one morning asking had he spent $7 the day before on his card. The reason for the phone call was my husband was buying coins and it was $100 a month. And when his bank saw a $7 one come through, thought, that's funny, he never uses his card for little amounts. So, of course, they stopped it straight away. The money was refunded. Me, myself, I had the same thing. I saw something advertised on the television, a jar of cream. And all you had to pay was nine ninety nine postage. Oh, that looks good, I'll get it. 
So the following month, I get another jar of cream, and there's $94 out of my bank. Huh. I, tried, I tried to email them. No. Nope. Email's disconnected. Tried to phone them. No. Nope. The phone's disconnected. But I got another jar of cream and another $94 out of my bank. So I went into my bank, explained what had happened. <clears throat> they said, you didn't sign up for a course. And I said, no. I asked for the one jar with the 9.99 postage. They refunded all my money. Then I get an email that says, we're sorry to lose you as a client. We're prepared to drop it to half price, $59. Do you still want us to still send it? Well, the answer is no, I'm sure. $59 is supposed to be 90 The bank closed my account, that account and opened up another one. So obviously the, the scammers have tried to get another lot of $94 and they couldn't because that account was closed. No, so that's- Tricia, that's amazing. And I think it's incredibly important that we hear some stories of when banks have actually stepped in properly and been incredibly helpful. Because the picture I'm getting this morning is that it can too many times feel like an uphill battle, not just to get help from the banks, but even knowing where to start the process. And Claude Von Arx is a financial counsellor. Claude, good morning to you. Good morning. It, again, I know you've heard so many very, very similar stories, but are the banks ever just helpful when, when, when starting this process? Oh, look, I mean, it depends on the circumstances and the, and the bank. Um, and the sheer volume of issues that they're trying to deal with at the time. So I think, I think it's a mixed bag. Um, but I think reality is that there's no, there's no standard guidelines or policies that all banks have to follow in terms of, say, communication. Um, and that's one of the issues. So it's really dependent on the bank uh, that we find. So we have most of the people that call our service are the ones that really have no idea what's happened, uh, have been told that they need to wait six to eight weeks for a response oh. from their bank. And that's, that's, that's alarming for them, obviously. Yep. So you work specifically with people who have been scammed and, and getting them sort of, I guess, back on track or even knowing how to deal with banks. I guess people come to you at maybe the lowest ebb. I mean, they could have lost tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, we are a financial counselling service, so we our role is to help people that are in financial hardship. But often people will call us if they've been scammed and and we will do what we can to try and assist. And it's not our, we don't we don't try and retrieve the funds for the clients. That's the bank's responsibilities and law enforcement um, area, and that's their expertise. However, we generally do, we, we do three things essentially. The first one is we firstly make sure that they're secure, and that is, have they reported it appropriately? Have they contacted ID Care, Scam Watch to make sure that nothing else has been scammed or at risk of being scammed? And then secondly, we will discuss the scam itself, understand the nature of it, how it unfolded, and critically, we'll ask them what's been the response from your bank. Where is it at? What's the timeline? What have you been told? And if we feel that that response has been inadequate, we will guide those callers as to what they can do to try and take the next step and escalate the issue. And in some cases, if they need advocacy, we will do that for them and we'll help them submit complaints to, to ombudsman and so forth. And then thirdly, we will assess whether they need some financial counselling support going forward because it's not just, you know, it's a financial impact, but it can be an ongoing emotional impact. Mm. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of trauma that they can deal with for the next six months um, and they can fall into hardship quite easily as well. So we, 
we will assess them for that and we'll support them and, and work out a bit of a plan for them to deal with the aftermath of such a you know, critical event in their lives. Because we're talking, you know, I'm seeing people texting in talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars that have been lost. I mean, that can be someone's entire retirement washed away. Correct. Yeah, and that happens, unfortunately, quite frequently. Um, not just, you know, people, not just the elderly community, or they are quite vulnerable, um, but it's it's all the way through, and it depends on the nature of the scam, obviously. Um, and it all starts with, you know, communications got well out of hand. You know, everyone gets contacted on their phones or social media. So that's that's a real area of concern. And then there's the financial transaction itself. Um, and every time there's a scam, there's, I mean, there's two banks involved here, right? There's the bank that the customer has when mm-hmm. they've sent the money. And then there's the receiving bank who's actually ha- housing the scammer, essentially. There's no accountability on them um, because... You know, the customer is not actually theirs. It's the delivering bank's customer. So it's very fragmented and it leaves the victims helpless because their bank often will say, look, the money's gone. The other bank didn't respond. We don't know what's happened to it, which is just not good enough. So banks should be doing more? Like, this is what we're hearing from ASIC, you know, from your perspective, talking to the people who have been impacted, is there more banks should be doing? Look, um, the answer is yes. I mean... They're doing a lot around trying to educate their customers, but that really still implies that the fault lies with the customer always. Hmm. And and I think I think banks and the industry as a whole needs to just probably step back for a moment and just look at the way payments and communication is happening over the last 20 years and just say, have we made it too easy for scammers? Is it too easy to move money around? People can do it on their phones. They can do it all sorts of places. People that don't like using technology, they can't go to their branch anymore because most of them are closed, and especially in rural areas. Yeah. So I think a long-term strategy is needed. Um, but in the in the short term, banks need to do more to fortify retail payments because they're very good at doing it with institutional payments when they're moving money between banks. But when it comes to a retail customer, um, it's far too easy and it's far too problematic and the scammers know it. Claude, incredible insight from someone on the front line of that, especially helping those victims, getting a great sense of what it means to someone to be scammed and and just what a profound impact it can have on their lives. On the text line, Chris, uh, sorry, on the phone line, Chris from Bendigo, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Chris, you were scammed. Did did you have any luck with your bank? Were they jumping in to assist? No, and it was hard enough to get in touch with them from the start. The guy was conned into giving my net code number to allow a payment of about $4, but then they used that and the banking details I'd given them in this NBN scam to, um, to take $3,300 out of my accounts. Um, when I hung up and realised I'd been scammed, I tried to contact Telstra and NBN but couldn't get through on any phone calls, tried to get through on the bank and couldn't. Then I rang the police and the police said, well, we'll try this number uh, at the bank and I tried that number which was one I already had, but I hadn't realised I had it. And when I rang, I got into a guy, I said, yeah, I think you've been, he had a look. He said, yes, this money's gone to Abu Dhabi or somewhere. Um, it was for goods and that that I never received or anything. Um, he said, oh, look, it probably can't be treated as a scam because you've given them the net code that you had, um, but you may be able to get it back because of you didn't get any goods or services or whatever from it. Now, I felt a bit heartened because I was actually talking to someone who sounded sympathetic and he was, you know, suggesting I could get a positive outcome. 
I then sent a detailed comments about all this, you know, every single thing. I've got a whole page and a half of all the details that I went through to get scammed. And then uh, the bank said, thank you very much. And then a week later or something, I get a uh, something saying, oh, can you give us more details? And then can you put it on our official form? So I got onto their official form and I'd get halfway through it and then put more details in. And then I'd ask a question and it'd just lose it all, you know. And I thought, I'll bugger this, I'd try it again. And the same thing happened. So by this time, I was just getting sick and tired of it. Hey. I had heard of friends who'd been scammed, and then they'd gone into the bank manager and said, hey, mate, we deal with you, and we've got millions of dollars involved here in our accounts. Can you fix this up for them? And the bank manager's got on the phone, rang up someone and sorted it. You know, I don't have that influence. No, but, and that's uh, really frustrating, isn't it? It shouldn't be about who you know. It should be about getting the same support from your bank no matter what happened. Chris, thank you. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. So many people getting in touch talking about the experiences that they have had with their banks on the back end of a scam. Jan in South Yarra, not a bad experience for you. No, it was um, quite good. I was sitting there with my husband purchasing um, an artwork that was worth around $2,000 and the phone rang and I thought it was the phone for the lady who was serving us and um, it wasn't it was my phone and I answered it and it was Westpac Bank actually on the line saying have you purchased um, this article or you know are you purchasing something and I said yes and um, they also confirmed or wanted to confirm the accommodation and the spend that we'd had for the last couple of days and this was all because I had notified the bank that we were going overseas and I think a lot of people don't realise and you can get scammed overseas and I know it's a little bit different to the scams here um, but I just thought it was worthwhile mentioning that because, it, it is very yeah. worthwhile and amazing to hear that sort of proactive nature from banks as well, although having to, to warn them that you're doing something, I guess, puts them on the right foot uh, as opposed to most scams that hit people uh, directly flat-footed. I, I know one thing that comes up when we try and put a number on the amount of people who've been scammed or even put a dollar figure on the money that's been stolen, there's a real concern that those numbers aren't the whole story. People aren't coming forward when scammed because of the shame that's involved. Now, Tamara Cabinet, clinical psychologist, past president of the Australian Psychological Society. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. How natural would it be to be embarrassed, ashamed in this situation? It's completely normal to feel embarrassed and ashamed. And a lot of people do. And it's one of the reasons why they don't really act on, you know, what would be helpful behaviours once they've realised they're scammed. Um, is because they just feel like hiding it and they don't want to tell people what's going on. So where do people start having that conversation? How do you talk to family members and say, I've lost tens of thousands of dollars? So I think the first thing to know is just that scammers are so good at it. Mm. They are incredibly confident and we are almost innately trusting. They have really good answers to a lot of the questions that we ask. So if you can just remind yourself that they, they do this as a profession, you are not the only one that they've gotten money out of and often large amounts and from really smart people. 
They're just so good at it. So when you start to approach family, it's important to hold that in the back of your mind that this this wasn't just sheer luck. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They're, in many ways, using clever psychological skills on us. They certainly are. So they'll use a confident tone. They will have anticipated all of your questions and have pre-planned answers to them. They'll be really smooth and it will sound convincing and they'll use small pieces of trusted information to make you believe them. It's it's amazing what they're capable of. I'll put you through to my manager and suddenly you're talking to a different person. You know, how could a scammer be that complex, you might think to yourself? Yes, and they often they have capacity to send text messages yeah. that look like they're from certain sources and emails, and they, they're just so smooth, it can be so realistic. More than a few people on the text line saying that my, my elderly parents are the ones who got scammed, and of course we, we need to have a thought for the people who are vulnerable here, the people who may not have that full uh, array of digital literacy, they are at high risk. They certainly are, and and they're ready for it. They know that what you don't know, and they'll often use your computer um, almost against you and that lack of knowledge. So they will send you a link. They'll get you to click. It will all appear legitimate. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why I really want to encourage people to not feel as embarrassed because they are so good at this. Tamara, incredible insights on that, and thank you so much, Tamara Cavanagh, clinical psychologist, past president of the Australian Psychological Society. Chris in Geelong. Chris, you have been scammed for quite a large amount of money. Quite a large amount. Um, they took off me. Um, the strangest thing was it was uh, over a period of nearly a year and a half, um, started off with small amounts. Um, but my scam was actually endorsed like an ad on Facebook from a well-known figure, Carl Stefanovic. So that's why I believe it was quite true um, cryptocurrency investment overseas on a pretty big platform. But it's they get you in so easily. Like my, my scam is used over a year and a half, probably 10 different what they call account managers. They had their own customer complaint department that you could call. Um, no, it, it looked like a legitimate it, business by the sounds of it. They, they had their own web platform yeah. so you could actually see yourself making money. And the thing that got me is they actually sent money back into my account when I asked to withdraw it, but it was just a con to get more eventually back to them. A, so A literal con, it made you feel confident. I, I thought I was a big-time investor. I had my kids looking at it going, well, you know, we're, we're, making, we're buying Bitcoin. Um, the Ukraine war, when that started, um, their big player was, uh, plug was to buy Bitcoin for like $5,000 US because all the Ukraine uh, investors were trying to offload all their Bitcoin. They had no money. They had no use for it. So, you know, I got conned into buying what I thought was $65,000 worth of Bitcoin um, over a period of 12 months, uh, only to find out a year and a half later that um, I couldn't withdraw it. There was The money was, like, I could see the money there. But you had. couldn't touch it at all, Chris. I mean, as you were saying, though, they were using every technique that we've heard in the book, and it was even looking like a legitimate business being endorsed by a well-known Australian figure. I can really understand how that happens. I just want to jump back to where responsibility lies and how much banks should be doing, not just to reimburse or recover losses to, 
to prevent them in the first place. Now, Dr. Dimitrios Salampasis is a financial technologies expert at Swinburne Uni. Good morning to you. Good morning. This morning, we've heard a lot about banks taking responsibility. What responsibility should they take? Uh, where is it incumbent on them to, to work with a consumer? What does this mean for the individual and their responsibility? Yeah, look, um, the whole the whole idea behind consumer scams is a, is a massive topic at the moment. And based on the latest figures by the ACCC with the 3.1 billion only in 2022, that raises numerous questions around who is actually responsible of protecting the consumers. And basically what the um, what ASIC uh, says today in their published report, Scam Prevention, Detection and Response by the four major banks, they're actually calling for, for tighter um, instructions tighter requirements and also support by support by the by the big banks in terms of creating scam strategies uh, having proper governance and reporting and also helping consumers detect and also stop scams but uh, i must say that this is an interesting one and we we need more, that kind of support but at the same time i think uh, this is not only for the banks i think this is also for the consumers to actually have do proper due diligence and also have common sense in terms of who do they actually trust with their money to? But, but of course, we are hearing stories of how clever these scams are, how sophisticated. Mm. I know that banks are increasingly pushing people into an online space. They're closing branches, especially in regional areas. Uh, for older Australians, I mean, how are we anticipating that they are going to get that digital literacy, educate yeah. themselves? That, that, that's a very spot on, and thank you, for, thank you for bringing that. I mean, look, we go into times of digitalization, we go into times of interconnectedness. I think also the discussion around a complete cashless society, it's, it's a bit of a immature one, because as you probably can see, neither of the population is technically savvy, but also not financially literate, and also financial institutions in principle don't have the mechanisms to the full extent to actually catch up with how sophisticated scammers are becoming and is i think this is going to get worse i think this is the 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 advent of social media all this kind of digital space is really fertile for scammers and also let's not forget that because we're going into some sort of a recession because of the global financial instability Mm. people are looking for other ways to grow their wealth and that again creates numerous issues because they may end up trusting uh, individuals trusting uh, fake institutions, trusting people who have no idea how to provide financial advice and get scammed, not just once, but many times. And we, and the latest figures by the ACCC show that pre- explicitly age 65 plus are the ones who are the most vulnerable ones. This is very, very scary. Demetrius, thank you so much. Um, an interesting topic on how, I guess, consumers and banks uh, work together. On this, uh, Demetrios Salampasas, Dr. Demetrios, I should say, is Senior Lecturer of Fintech and Innovation at Swinburne University. Now, really quickly, we did ask Bendigo Bank if they wanted to come on the show and talk about this with us. Obviously, we've heard a lot of people mention Bendigo Bank just this morning. They declined. They did send over a statement, though, and it reads that Bendigo and Adelaide Bank takes cybersecurity very seriously. We use a combination of standard industry practices to safeguard our systems and protect customer data. Bendigo and Adelaide Bank provides customers with regular alerts and maintains a webpage with general tips for customers on how to keep their details safe. We would like to take the opportunity to remind customers of the important role they play in keeping their information secure as we continue to look for new ways to detect and neutralise threats to their online security.
so many people have called and texted sharing stories of how they've been scammed. And once again, I just want to get back to the idea, do not be ashamed. These are incredibly sophisticated industries. If you are caught up, it's because they have worked incredibly hard to make sure they can catch you. Do not be afraid to report this.